Hello and welcome to the Respectfully podcast. I'm Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. For this edition of Respectfully, we're looking at the colour industry in recovery from the pandemic. My guests are Danilo Greco, a salon owner based in London, and Ashley Hodges, Global Colour Ambassador for Davines. Based in Chelsea, Danilo runs a team of seven with a strong colour offering, while Ashley sees clients at the workspaces called Hunter Collective and The Social when she's not travelling or educating around the country. The three of us caught up online, and from time to time you'll hear the buzz of the salon behind Danilo's voice, a comforting sign that things are getting back to normal for him and, I hope, for all of you listening. Hello and welcome. Hello, Danilo. Hello, Ashley. Nice to see you. Good morning. Good to see you. Hello. Lovely to see you both. So thank you for joining me on the Respectfully podcast. Danilo, you are the People's Choice Colour Genius for 2021. It was People's Choice, yeah, last year. And Ashley, our Colourtastic Genius for 2020. So Danilo, you run a salon, you own and run a salon in Chelsea, right in the heart of London, with a team. You are a colourist yourself. What's the colour market looking like for you at the moment? So um, this year has been our 10th year running and it's been something that I always wanted to do from the very beginning to push the salon towards being more like a color salon uh, rather than just you know your general um, cutting and style not because we don't do that but I always thought that my passion is in color so I've trained my team Um, they've they've all done some specialist courses I have three color specialists in the team plus myself um, we're sitting at 60% colour and 40% all the rest. And so how does that work? Does everybody in the salon do colour? Or do you have people who specialise in one or the other? They are all rounders. We all are. Ashley, where is colour Is color your entire world these days? How do you, what, how do you describe the colour content of your working life? Yeah, colour, to be honest, is... Um is is my is my main business um overall um like as global color ambassador for Davines, that's the main thing i do the main thing i educate i'd say um prior to the pandemic it was probably 70 to 80 percent of what i did um and now after the pandemic it's probably 90 percent. i mean i still do about 10 percent of other session yeah um sort of things um and I still have like a couple of clients that don't really have color but yeah primarily all my clients are color based and all all the work that I'm doing educating wise and brand wise is all color based now so yeah yeah it's it's literally the overriding thing so both of you or each of you I'll ask the same question do you feel that color is now as important in the hairdressing market as other services you know have we got to the point where it's 50 50 of most clients will have color as well because for a long time, there's been an opportunity, hasn't there, to grow the colour market. Do you think we're there yet? Do you think the pandemic has has kind of called a halt? That as much as we're bringing people into having colour, introducing colour to clients, we've lost people who are now embracing their natural colour. Danila, what do you think on that one? I think um, a lot of people have embraced their own natural colour. I also predict that they're going to get bored of it and they will come back into the salons. It's like, you know, I think it's going to be a trend that is not going to last too long, hopefully. 
because we need them to come back more often. Yes. And actually, with your sort of insight into where not only your own manufacturing partner, but generally the world from manufacturers, what's their point take on it? Are they seeing it as still a growing opportunity? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, from a brand perspective, I think color is the main focus now, more so than styling. I think brands have come to realise that color is their main business. It what it what brings in the money, um, and. I think styling's a great way to kind of conquest salons and people generally will trial styling products and go, oh, I like this brand. But if you can get colour into a salon for a brand, that means that they are 100% yours then. So from a brand perspective, colour is like the main driving force. And and I know with Davines, it's the main thing that we've been focused on over for last year and all of this year it's it's about the fact that we're a color house and kind of showcasing that as much as possible um so yeah from a brand's perspective color is like the king right now yeah or queen (laughs) Queen. (laughs) and Danilo I think you're uh, a Revlon um account salon are you are you do you stay with one brand are you brand loyal across the board or how does it work for you yes um i'm 100 percent revlon i am part of the uh, revlon creative artist team which have launched this year so i'm part of their education and show team and um, they have been very supportive and they, they also are um focusing on creating these new shades that allow us to make even the um, the clients that are very reluctant to color try something new and uh, you know for us to be able to introduce them to color it's 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 very important they're also realizing that color is king or queen as Ashley was saying yeah <laughs> the person the, the the champion we need to find a neutral a neutral way of saying it don't we yeah um and is it who drives the color market in terms of products are Again, is it the manufacturers, say, creating colour palettes? Is it the colourists asking for them? Or is it the consumer demand? What, because actually you must be involved quite early on in the in the launches of things, sort of, what, a couple of years ahead, is it even, or more than that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, generally, I mean, it, it can be for, like, smaller colour launches, something that we've been working on, that's coming out later this year we started working on that about two two and a half yeah about two years ago but then for our larger color launches that can be like four years in the making because i know that there's something else we're working on that again is coming out potentially next year maybe the year after depend it just depends on all the testing and yeah. and and then the distribution of it all so there's so many factors in it um for me, I think it's kind of a combination of all of them. I think, I mean, and and as a colorist, and um, I'd like to think that it's us that drives it, <laughs> but I think it is very much a combination of client trends, global trends, and then what the science is. When when I mean, we all remember when Alaplex came out and. Yeah. That, that science just skyrocketed yeah. colour into a different dimension. And so I think it is manufacturers kind of learning and understanding and that science, the groundbreaking parts that elevate it. Um, and then us, what we're utilising on clients, what we're enjoying. Because I know that 
when we're looking at our color palettes and where we want to add more things into one of our lines, we look at what the top selling products are. So it is driven by what people are buying and we're going, right, okay, there's no point in adding an extra tone in this one because it does that that section of tones doesn't sell very well globally. Um, so there is kind of that in there as well. And that's obviously driven by consumers too. So yeah. there is this kind of 360, I think, with with where colour products come from. Yeah. And Danilo, are you are you influencing your clients in the colours? Do they tend to come in with an idea or how important is it that you and your team have have um, an insight into what's on trend, but also obviously what would suit a certain client and their colouring and their lifestyle. How, how much do you feel you? it's important or the role of the colourist to suggest and direct a client or, or do you sort of do a light touch and, and let them? I think um, uh, it's um, very important that the colourist know uh, what they're talking about, they also get to know the client with an in-depth consultation. And um, I, I've always thought that the clients know already what they want because when you start digging deep, they will come up with a solution to what they want or with an idea to what they want. And then obviously it's up to you as an expert to guide them to get something that complements them perfectly. I do think that now... <clears throat> um, we are, uh, you know, as, as experts, we can, we can guide them to follow the trends in, in moderation because, you know, you have to know your, your clientele, especially where we're based. High earners, you know, maybe mothers or, you know, people who are, um, have a certain corporate position. So I can't really tell them to have blue hair or, um, you know, have something out there. But um, we are definitely trying to guide them to get, what what's on trend at the minute so yes i think it's 50 50 the client and then the color ex expert danilo and i were at an event um at the lab which uh the respect lab the learn about event and zoe owen was speaking i thought quite interestingly danilo about the color menu and how at one point there was a big sort of interest in creating a blow dry menu for example and then zoe was talking about creating a color menu for a salon and how that can be quite interesting. She was talking about um, having created the perfect red menu at, uh, at John Frieda, where she is. That's a very interesting point. And I love the fact when she said you should name things and make them more personal because also the clients will memorize, oh, you know, I've had, uh, what was it? The Manhattan girl <laughs> look or something like that. And, and naming color, I think, Ashley, again, this will loop back to what is a big part of your world, I guess. It's a sort of naming a colour is, whilst colour is very personal and my version of a red might not be your version of a red, but when you say, you know, um, a denim blue as opposed to a blue, we kind of understand it more, don't we? And, and naming it and, and personalising. Zoe was talking about creating a character, if you like. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I mean, that's what Tom and I work on when we're creating our campaigns for Davines is that... They're, they're all about creating a suggestion for clients and salons to be able to utilise and show to their clients and say, right, th this is our blonde palette that we've got at the moment. You can choose from Saki, who is like lots of cool shades, or you could choose from Juliana, who is like really kind of vanilla. Um, and well, I mean, we used to try and name 
each one um, an actual name. And then we were actually, this is all coming under the umbrella of portraits of people. And we were like, well, we're talking to people and these are people. So we then started naming each one after the person because that people connect with people a lot more as well. So they can kind of walk in and say, oh, I really love this look. And, and then you get an understanding of the person behind it and why someone would choose that look. So you've got all these multiple layers going into what's going to inspire the client as well as the um, hairdresser. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the colour market is looking quite healthy. Have we sort of bounced back? Danilo, you were saying that there had been a sort of dip. But do you feel it's sort of recovering yet? Is it too early to say that we're recovering the, the consumer demand and the client base after the pandemic? Or are we still trying to rebuild i think we're in the right direction i wouldn't say we are at the same level we were before pandemic but we are going towards the right direction with the helps of brand because as ashley also was saying you know they they're really focusing on uh, on the color market and they can predict now trends two three four years in advance and uh, but we definitely I am pretty positive we are going towards the right direction on that. I think we are going to recover the color market pretty soon. As well as people recovering their desire to have their hair cut, how much has have we got to now bear in mind people's health and perhaps the impact that COVID has had on people's the health of their hair, maybe the actual impact of being unwell some people are saying that they've suffered hair loss for example or that the condition of their hair has changed through the impact of being actually ill or maybe um you know stress and so on as as against also perhaps a consumer desire that hopefully was going to happen anyway to be less impactful on the planet to be a bit more sustainable how is that sort of playing into what you're working on from a manufacturer's brand point of view i think this is actually one of the key things that i'm teaching right now um and like my strap line is hair color is a science experiment with nature because what we're utilizing we've got this incredible science behind us we've got these amazing chemicals whether they're natural or synthetic that we're using on clients but we've got to remember that clients at the end of the day were we're human beings we're part of nature um and whatever it is that we're doing whatever's going on inside us is then going to be reflected in our hair so therefore when we the scientist as a colorist come to utilize our chemicals on biology on nature on our clients things are going to happen because of what's happening inside of us. And that could be because they've had COVID, that could be because they're going through the menopause, or um, it could be because their mental health isn't great, so their hormones levels are different. And I think it's about us truly understanding that right now and being present with our clients. Yeah. And I think it's something that we're having to learn coming out of the pandemic is that we can't, if, if your client's running late, it was so easy for people to, quickly mix up their regrowth color because you've done their hair for 10 years and you know what's going to happen whereas we're learning that we don't know necessarily what's going to happen on every single appointment so we have to be present with that client for every single appointment now whether we've seen them four weeks ago or whether we saw them six months ago we have to sit down in that chair yeah. and again do another thorough consultation and see where they're at see what's happened to them yeah, so yeah. i think it's all about being present yeah. with our clients again yeah, it's, I think one of the most um, 
easy ways to explain it to somebody is that, you know, forensically, scientists can um, analyse samples of somebody's hair, even even from a body that might have, have been sort of buried in the ground for like hundreds of years. Archaeologists, you can analyse the hair to find out what the diet was like, what they've eaten, how old they might have been, what, where they might have lived in the world, you know, what's pollution has been absorbed and that stays the hair stays longer than almost any other part of the body doesn't it it's sort of yeah, it's fascinating so it's really interesting really interesting so Danilo are you seeing that pull through from your clients are they asking for things moving a bit more towards the sustainability and the awareness of what they're putting on their hair or are clients still a bit more inclined to just want to the appearance that they're after or are they genuinely interested in the product itself and what it may or may not do? For sure. Uh, they are very interested in the sustainability. Um, a lot more clients these days are asking, you know, what you're putting on my hair. So you have to have an in-depth knowledge of ingredients, of how the technology works and how it is going to be respectful for your hair, for your scalp, for your general health. And uh, we've, we've also had clients asking now, you know, like, do you recycle your packaging or what, what happens to that tube of colour? What, what happens? So you have, as a salon, you have to have um, all of this well organised. You have to have all of the answers and you have to actually show that you are doing your bits to protect the planet, to be sustainable. Although I think we still have a way to go to grow in that side of things i think you know we could do all all of us a lot more so let's move our attention we've inevitably every conversation does we have to recognize this sort of weird odd horrendous two years that we're coming out of what about the impact that is having on education and training so here in the uk and i think we are similar to, to lots of places around the world are seeing two things happen clearly over the last two years we haven't been able to deliver education in the same way we've made some very positive advances in digital education we've we've seen particularly in the uk anyway lots of colorists using their time very constructively to practice and rehearse and share and, and play with new ideas, which is great. However, it is undeniable that in the last two years there has been less hands-on sharing of education and training, plus clearly fewer trainees coming into the industry because we haven't been open, we haven't been able to take people on board. What the heck are we going to do when that skills gap really manifests itself and it may we don't know how long it's going to take to really show we're aware of it now but it may be that it's only in 10 years time we realize what's going on I don't who wants to go first because I don't know where to start with that one actually I have to say I was um I was actually at a college competition on Thursday judging it um and there there'd been like 1700 entries to this college competition and then they'd whittled it down to the 40 finalists from level one two and three and I have to say I was blown away by the skills that they had because these people had come into the industry and obviously I mean the level threes would have been training during the pandemic and like we said there's been so much online education that I actually think those that have been hungry for it have really utilised the last two years to up their game. And I could see yeah. the skill gap wasn't with them because they were actually really good at what they were doing. What I've seen a skill gap in is from 
them qualifying to them wanting to enter the bigger competitions when I'm judging things for the fellowship the level of expertise that used to be there isn't there like it was a few years ago um right and the last year what you put that down to I I think there's a lot of things I think online training is great for when you're wanting to to learn something new but I think when you're wanting to actually progress and get better at something you need to be in person for that because you need someone adjusting your body position you need someone correcting you and telling you where you're failing and you don't get that from online education and I think that's where it's it's not people coming in doing their apprenticeships that we need to worry about it's those that have qualified trying to better themselves within the industry and within the salons I think they're the ones that need to have that in-person education again because we need to be corrected we need to be told where we're going wrong a hundred percent a hundred percent I I think you just hit it on the head there like the transition period between your qualification and the salon floor is so so important I mean it can make or break somebody's career as Ashley was saying we've had a few applications of people that are fully qualified but then you look at the CV and they haven't got any salon experience and we all know how important that is and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them expect to come into the salon and say, oh, you know, I'm qualified, so can I cut hair? Well, wait a second, there is this transition period that we need to see you in action. Obviously, the pay is not amazing and it can't be amazing. You can't expect to get paid as a senior stylist or somebody who's been doing it for five, ten years. And I think a lot of uh, people in general, um, I'm pretty sure they pull out of the industry because of the, uh, because of the money side. I think you know, because they can't earn enough money, especially in London, to be able to sustain themselves, then they try to venture into something else. And I think that's, that's, that's a problem we have. I don't think it's so much the education because the education, there is so much offer out there. And now I think all the academies are reopening. We are going to be training in person a lot. Yeah. But I think we need to make, we, there is something, I mean, I, I, I can't come up with an idea no. right now, but I think we need to make it more attractive for people to come to be wanting to have that transition yeah. period and then to become stylist and go on the floor. And it's also perhaps a little bit of a Generation Z problem is the sort of expectation of you know, learning, qualifying, and in any industry, I don't just mean in hairdressing, that, that, you know, they want it all and they want it now, if you like. It's kind of, you in North America, if you're, um, whether you're doing hair or colour, you have to put in a certain number of hours, don't you, to get your licence. But again, we don't have anything like that here. There's, and perhaps psychologically, there's no expectation that, yes, you qualify, but then, like a pilot doing a, flying a plane, you don't just learn how to fly the plane. You then have to get so many hours supervised flying before somebody puts you in charge of a 200 passengers on a for sure that could be a solution that could be one of the solutions and what about then add that into the mix with the uk currently having this absolute fascination with going freelance and working for yourself how is that going to play back into training if you're not in a salon environment um i think yeah because i mean i i'm surrounded by freelancers working at the social and hunter collective so I mean, the majority of people that actually go freelance 
and and kind of take that route are people that have been been hairdressing for at least five years potentially 10 if not more i mean a lot of the people at hunter collective in particular um used to be salon owners and actually realized that they don't want to have to look after 10 20 people anymore they just want to look after their themselves and their own businesses so actually quite a lot of that shift is coming from hairdressers already at the top of where they are um i i haven't seen lots of people that have newly qualified going freelance but the the skill levels in freelance are exceptional because they're their own business so the more they invest in themselves the the more that they get out um so the people that are are in the likes of the social and hunter collective and and then there's the new space electric um when you're around them they're highly highly skilled whereas when i was in salons you would get half the team would be super motivated and half the team were there because it was a job so it's it's very different um but then equally i mean i've been i was one of the first people at the social which is also one of the first ever uh, freelance spaces um and over the four years that i've been there you've seen people come and go it's not for everybody and i think people that are thinking oh everyone's going freelance right now people will trial it because it's there and it's available but a lot of people don't have the structure in place or aren't it's not right for them to to be freelance and they go back into salons I, th- I agree with you. I think that there will be a settling down. I think we've had this sort of reaction. And actually, you made a very good point, which I hadn't particularly thought of before. We think of people going freelance because they don't want to be part of a team and they want to make more money and they want more control of their time. But actually, you reference people who had just... It's been really challenging being a manager over the last couple True. of years. Um, managing a team. I found it challenging. Danilo, I'm sure it's the same. So there's part of me that thinks, oh... It's been very challenging and uh, what Ashley was saying actually resonates with me. She's saying, you know, she works around people who have been salon owners and they're tired of managing 20 people. I mean, (laughs) do they have any openings? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully your team's listening to this. No, uh, but it's true and it's not for everybody to be a self I mean, I've been self-employed before I opened my salon for about six years. And it is it is also a challenge because you are your own business and you need to keep on on top. And it's a kick in the butt, you know, like if you're not on top, then there's somebody else taking up your clients. And um, going back to the fact that it's a trend at the minute, a lot of people going self-employed. I think I think it's going to calm down a lot. It's not for everybody. Uh, There are some people who actually thrive better in a team and with a secure uh, contract and employment yeah. and also I think at some point the two things will mix together again you know like self-employed will yeah. want to rent a chair in the sound and I mean the hunter collect yeah. is the perfect example I think I think it's um it's a tough lesson uh, and listen recruitment is very difficult mm. in all industries it isn't just hairdressing the service industry media there's almost mm. every industry is thinking you know where is everybody i'm advertising my jobs and i'm not getting the number of applications definitely but it i think it will settle down and i suppose to put a bit of a positive spin on it it's it's a reminder to us to look to the way we mm. run our business and the mm. way we treat people and how we pay them and how we respect them and perhaps there's a bit of learning there in some situations where you know there might be a reason why people have felt right 
I'd actually rather fly solo. But as we say, I think for lots of reasons, it will, the pendulum will swing back, maybe not as far, but it will certainly kind of settle. And that's, that's what we're going to need for the industry. Let me put a final question to each of you. Another big hot question that we've been forced to consider in the last couple of years. I think I know what you're each going to say from what you said earlier, but let me try it anyway. Digital education, how much of a place does it have on the menu? Can can we really learn in a digital way? Ooh. effectively especially when we're talking about color i think do you want to go first um, <laughs> no ladies first <laughs> no no you go first you had something to say i uh, i know i'm gonna get a lot of hate for what i'm about to say i i am not keen on digital education i know i have used it myself and during this last two years especially throughout lockdowns we have purchased quite a bit from different platform and I've shared it with the team just for the sake of keeping everybody engaged because it's easy to fall back and, you know, getting com- complacent on your skills. But honestly, we've just done some in- in-person training lately and it was just like, ah, oh, life, you know, like drinking yeah. fresh water <laughs> in the desert. Honestly, it, it, it's so it's so good it's so different the human interaction as Ashley was saying somebody correcting your body position or even keeping eye contact with your model during consultation I think it's just you can't compare the two I'm grateful that digital education exists and it's a great I think source of revenue for whoever is exploiting that I mean well done maximum respect but I'll always go for personal yeah. education in-person education any day Okay, that was quite a clear answer. Yeah, I, um, I mean, it's pri- like education is my main source of income, to be fair. Um, and I think it's very much gonna, I, I don't think digital education is going away. And there's a real solid place for it now. Um, I think it's going to shift and I don't think it will be 50-50. I think there'll probably be maybe 70-30 where majority of people want that in-person and need that in-person. But I think digital education is there. Um, I know that when I'm teaching our new campaigns to the global educators, it's really great that I can do it either from my home or from the studio. Um, And it's two hour session in the evening and I can hit everyone around the world that are training and that way I can do it in my own space and they've not had to fly me to five different locations so it's better for the um, the world and sustainability and they are just learning the techniques that are going on behind it and the inspiration that are going on behind it so whereas they will then filter that through and teach salons those techniques in person um, so I think there's places for it. And I know that also when you're trying to learn something brand new, sometimes it's good to dip into something digital. And then when you feel like you have an understanding of it, you'll go to in-person. I know Pablo Cumin's got his wig, um, wig platform now that's digital and there's like four Brilliant. digital programs. Brilliant and, stuff. And, and, and yeah, and I, I I don't do a lot of I do a lot of wig work in TV, but not day to day. So I would pay for that, watch those sessions, and then if I want to learn more in person, I'd go in person. So yeah. I think there's there's places for for digital, um, and then obviously in person is where you elevate that up more. 
Yeah. I think it's human nature, isn't it? You know, we all discover something new and it's like, whoa, let's all go in this direction. And then it's like, whoa, let's all pull back. So we just have to learn to be a little bit more like, okay, that's really good. Let's take the good bits and then let's do. So I think we just have to to temper things. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I just enjoyed our short but deep dive into the world of colour. Thank you (laughs) to Danilo, Jen Greco and to Ashley Hodges. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Good to meet you, Ashley. Good, yes. lovely to meet you too. Thank you to my guests, Ashley Hodges, Global Colour Ambassador for Davenis, and Danilo Giangreco, owner of Danilo's Hair Boutique and a member of the Revlon Professional Creative Team. If you enjoyed listening to us talking about all things colour, please do jump over to the Respectfully Library on podcast platforms including Spotify and iTunes. We have plenty of conversations there in store for you to listen to. And don't forget to rate and review us as it helps to drive us up the charts and bring hairdressing to a wider audience. Until next time, from me, Nikki Pope, goodbye.